host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Jesse Marshall. Jesse, what's going on, man? Good to be here as always. Thanks for having me. So we're going to, we're going to, we talked about this last time. We're making this like a regular thing where you like once a month or whatever. Although sometimes I might bug you on a more frequent basis. And we're going to do like a, we're going to coin this like the film club. Yeah. So I, I, initially I was going to title it the tape study. And then I was like, ah, I think that's going to turn people off. Like it's just the word study. It's going to, you know, bring back bad memories of school. Film club sounds fun. It's us yeah. getting together, watching tape, talking about stuff we're seeing, players we love, kind of things that are standing out uh, once we get into the weeds. And so um, I'm looking forward to doing that with you. you. You recently wrote about Josh Morrissey and it was a great piece and it, it, it kind of got my wheels turning. And then to prep for the show, I spent about two and a half hours rewatching Josh Morrissey shifts from the season. And boy, I am, I'm amped up. I'm ready to do this podcast with you. I, uh, I wrote the article for McKean's last week where I did some video analysis of like what's driving this insane turnaround for him because he's broken his uh, uh, personal uh, points marker, um, you know, just what a little over 30 games into the season. He's already broken his personal best in points. Uh, I think he's got to be in the conversation for a Norris trophy in the early part. If we're, if we're talking about right now in this season, and what's happened so far, uh, I think it's just crazy to not put his name. He's, he's put his, his own name into the history books um, as far as maintaining a point streak as a Jets defenseman. Uh, he now owns that as well. Uh, I'm not even sure where it's at anymore, but I think it was nine is, I think, where he broke it. Uh, but every everything, you look at these games, uh, and every night uh, he's so thoroughly involved in what's happening with the Jets offense. And I think that if you, you know, there's two, there's, we've lived long enough, Dimitri, to see out sort of the, the, I, I'll call it the phasing out of the big hulking bop you over the head only defenseman, mm-hmm. right? When we were kids and there was a two line pass and the, the rules were different a little bit that every team had sometimes couple of those, right? And their, their only job was to, you know, they were slow. They couldn't skate. They could fight. They could, you know haul you down, move you out of the front of the net, fight, whatever, be physical, and that was it. That's not a role anymore. So I think you have you two kinds of defensemen right now, right? You have defensemen that really just focus on that. They're they're like the Brian Dumoulins of the world and they're they're out there just to play more of like a one way game. They they can handle the puck when needed, right? They're they they do not touch it like a grenade, but they're they're really focused on the shutdown part. You can't, I think in 2022 um, expect to be in a larger, bigger conversation playing that way. I think it's about being almost a fourth forward these days and anticipating rushes, reading loose puck battles correctly to know when to release and get up ice and you know when to drive that center lane and pinch. And um, that's that savvy is required now to I think be in like a more national, larger conversation. And if you want to see what that looks like, just sit down and watch Josh Morrissey. I mean, that's that's the story of what he's doing. And from a data perspective, you know, um, there was a really low point for him. Mm-hmm. I think he's like, you know, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of documented stuff um, that's going on, you know, with him and, and um, you know, uh, well, I'd Murad, say, I'd say about Murad Atesh at the athletic has written a lot about, yes. you know, him playing, you know, with the, his dad being sick and, and, and it, how it affected him. 
that's the human element to this, right? Like he's gone through a really difficult time. He's come out the other end of it. He made a dedicated effort um, to, to get out and train better and be, you know, uh, a, a more dedicated uh, athlete in the off season and all of that stuff, right? All of that mix combined with that confidence that you see um, has sort of broiled up into this product that we're looking at uh, on tape. Well, while you were talking about the kind of the evolution of defensemen and the way, um, you know, the the prototype has changed, I guess you could say. I, I, my initial first thought was, I wonder if we're going to eventually see at least some sort of rebound in that regard, where if everyone around the league gets smaller, especially up front, you, there might be actually a bit of an advantage to all of a sudden get, you know, more hulking and bruising and bigger on the back end. But then I realized, well, what's going to happen is, that is going to be true, but those players are going to have to be good as well, right? Offensively, right. And you see that with like the Sabres, for example, where Rasmus Dahlin, 6'3", Matias Samuelson, 6'4", Owen Power, 6'6". Now those guys are all like freaks, but that but that's the type of player you're going to have to be. You can't just necessarily be big anymore. You also have to have, you know, a good defensive stick, good reach, good positioning, obviously offensive skills and offensive zone, being able to play in that team capacity and put all those things together. And those players are going to come... I think even more valuable because they're going to be able to, you know, unlock things where you can all of a sudden beat teams or play teams in much different ways, depending on what their own personnel is in terms of physicality. Yeah. A lot of coaches in this league, Dimitri, like that uh, archetypes style defensive pairing where you have one guy that's a puck mover and one guy that's, that's more of the traditional shutdown role and like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can't put yourself in a situation where that other defenseman can be targeted because coaches started doing that like five, six years ago, probably uh, Mike Sullivan's big on it. It happened to him a lot when he had Jack Johnson uh, and it, they didn't really know how to, how to deal with it. But if all this is to say is, is if you have a defenseman that cannot handle the puck and that is sort of just out there to, to do one thing and one thing only teams are going to dump the puck on that side of the ice. Mm -hmm. They're going to target their soft dumps over there to force that defenseman to play that puck. So that balance, it, it is almost, you said it's a requirement these days. And I think like you mentioned, Owen power is like somebody we've talked about. He's, uh, uh, he's huge. His wingspan is, is that of a, a pterodactyl, mm -hmm. but he look at what he does on the breakout. Yeah. Like this is a guy who is, is extremely talented. His one-on-one -on -one puck handling skills are, you know, I'm watching him, uh, you know, come up ice against forwards where he's he's banking the puck off the wall, stepping around them, you know, yeah. and breaking out like he's a forward. So you these skills are, you know, that's that's the base level requirement. And and I think like your Kale McCars, right? Your your Josh Morrissey's. Um, these players have taken this to like a whole nother, a whole nother level. Um, and it really is like trying to defend against four forwards uh, when, when they're effectively executing it. Well, yeah. Power might not be like the best example in terms of like rep being able to replicate that because he's such a, he's such an anomaly in the sense that it, like I, when you watch him play, he almost has like the hockey brain of like a five, seven skilled forward. Yeah. in a six foot six defenseman's body, like in terms of the way he processes the game and, and how he acts. And so he's Braden um, point and like, you know, yeah, in a defenseman's it, it really body. is. It's, it's freaky, but you know, I, I, before we like fully dive into Morris here, I guess it's kind of tangentially related. I'm really interested in this concept of how you put your defense pairs together and kind of trying to find complementary skill sets, especially if you're going to play in a more free flowing motion-based offense where 
that top defenseman is all of a sudden going to be your fourth forward, right? And on the one hand, you're right. You can't just necessarily go, all right, one offensive guy, one defensive guy, because if either of them is such a liability at one end of the ice, the other team's going to find a way to exploit that. If a guy is so bad offensively and he's on your top pair, the team will kind of eventually find a way to force you to funnel the puck to them and make them make decisions and they're going to make mistakes and that's going to cost you offensively. Same at the other end of the ice. What I saw on the tape, and, and the numbers bear this out, is at the start of the year, you know, I liked in the offensive zone the way Morrissey and, and Neil Pionk, when they were paired, played off of each other. And there was this play, uh, I, I sent you the clips of it, I think it was the third game of the season against Vegas, where they would run this offensive zone action where Morrissey kind of comes around to the right wall, takes the puck from Adam Lowry, and it basically serves as like a pick and roll almost. And while everyone is focused on the strong side where the puck is, Neil Pionk sneaks down the left flank and gets a wide open tap in basically because Morrissey finds him eventually. And it's beautiful to see them play off of each other that way, but they were really struggling defensively. And I think that game was actually one of like the worst games they'd played. They put Morrissey with Dylan DeMello, who's much more of that modern defensive defenseman where he's not necessarily a big bruising guy, but he's just positionally sound great at shot and goal suppression. And the two of them have done much better together. And if anything, Morrissey's kind of flourished and taken off since they put those two together. And it's interesting that dynamic of he didn't necessarily work as well with Pionk compared to what happened when they put him with a totally different player in Dylan DeMello. Yeah. And I, so now uh, we get into like this discussion, I think about um, hockey sense and hockey IQ, right. Mm. Which is something I talked about on Twitter today, but here's the thing. Watch the tape. You watch what Morrissey does. He releases a lot, right? So what I mean by that is like if he anticipates that a puck, like a loose puck, is going to squirt out in his advantage, is going to play his way, he'll jump, right? And he's going to like I'm going to I'm going to get myself in a position where when this thing gets to me, I've, I'm ahead of the forecheck. I'm already I'm already past them, right? And I can get up ice and move. I think uh, sometimes that more often than not it works. More often than not it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. Nobody's uh, guess rate on loose puck battles is 100 percent. And I, I, I think this is my guess because I watched the same. I know exactly what game you're talking about. But there's so many good things that you could clip offensively from that game. But like in between the clips that you're saving to make your offensive points, you're ignoring all like, the really mm-hmm. horrific stuff that's going on in the defensive zone. And this isn't a knock on Neil Pionk, but like, is he the type of defenseman skill set wise that can burden the extra load when things go south, right? Like from a mobility and like a lateral, like cutting technique and like all, like is Dylan DeMello not better suited for that, right? That when all hell breaks loose and you need someone that can, uh, you know, essentially cover two players, right? Which is what we're saying because Morrissey's often off on a, on, a, on a wild offensive journey. You maybe have a forward back to help, whatever. That's sometimes more hurtful than it is helpful. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, I think DeMello maybe is a guy that is a little bit more mobile, maybe a little bit more able to handle and burden those situations. So I'm going to go, I hate to like constantly bring up the penguins when we do this, but I think that they're an excellent case study in this Mm -hmm. because you look at them now, Dimitri, Brian Dumoulin was a guy you and I used to talk about all the time. Right. And and I remember years ago, there was a game where the penguins and Oilers played and you and I were both uh, talking about how well Dumoulin had done against Connor McDavid. You know, how often you say that about a defenseman, right? Um, and he didn't come out completely clean that night. Like McDavid got his and he's gonna, but you try to limit it, 
right? And and that was the kind of defenseman that Dumoulin was, is that Chris Letang was off on these like magical journeys, um, spiritual you know experiences in the offensive zone. And Brian Dumoulin's left to, to sit there with a broom, right, and clean the mess up. But he could do it because he was mobile. His reverse pivot was really quick. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was a reverse pivot you'd expect from like a Paul Coffey, not a guy that's Brian Dumoulin size. Uh, great reach, you know, super aggressive gap. That's like time has come and gone on him, right? His physical faculties have failed. Um, he's not. He doesn't have that quick pivot anymore. His legs aren't what they used to be. He's had several ankle injuries. That par- that partnership with he and Latang is a total disaster, right? It's a total disaster. But now you look at Marcus Pedersen. Same kind of guy, better skater in better shape than Dumoulin is now. A little bit more mobile, a little bit, a little bit more confident with the puck. Whoa, like he's he's having a feast up there when he gets those when he gets those minutes. Uh, he was playing with Jeff Petrie, doing the same thing. You know, let Petrie be a little more offensive, feasting. So I think it, to your point, like in a microcosm of the situation that we're talking about, and the Neil Pionk being our Brian Dumoulin, uh, it, it's it's about recoverability. Right. It's about skill set that allows you uh, to take on situations where most people would lose. And I think now, you know, again, being a defenseman is all about mobility. It's all about skating. Uh, it's all about fluidity. Uh, and these situations where defense and offense quickly interchange with each other and and, and adjust, um, you know, there's 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 a, a larger burden, I think, on, on skating ability and stuff like that in order to be able to be successful in those situations. Well, first off. Good work sneaking the sneaking the penguins into this somehow. <laughs> yeah, I like. I also I also did really. I love the idea of uh, of defensemen going on sp- spiritual journeys in the offensive zone. <laughs> yeah, That's, uh, a little foray. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so here's the thing. So you look at Morrissey's. Let's let's go through the stats first. So 19 five on five points amongst defensemen. Only Eric Carlson and Adam Fox have more. Fourteen of those nineteen are primary. 40 points overall in 35 games, as you mentioned, his previous career high was 37 last year. So with 57 games left, every single point he has from here on out is going to be a new career high. That's behind only Eric Carlson's preposterous 48 points amongst defensemen. Now you look at those totals, right? And it's clearly inflated to some degree. I don't think anyone is reasonably expecting him to finish with the 94 points he's currently pacing at. The Jets are scoring on nearly 14% of the shots they take with him on the ice. He's scoring on 11% of his own shots. And I think most importantly, he's got a point on about 60% of the goals the Jets score with him on the ice and his previous high was 40. So there's certainly some luck involved. I was really curious because I wanted to see whenever you see kind of an outlier like that statistically, I wanted to see how he was getting those points and kind of what was happening. And as you'd expect with any defenseman who's as involved as he is and he's on the ice, there's some where it's like either he got a secondary assist where you know, didn't really factor into the play or he just kind of shot the puck into a crowd and it bounced off someone and it went in and, and that's going to happen. But I was really like, I was genuinely amazed to see how many of those points came off of just either great set plays or beautiful execution on his part, right? You highlighted the one where he kind of gets the puck off a of face off against the crack and head up, sells the shot completely. Everyone, including the goalie is playing the shot and he hits the easy tap in for Pierre-Luc Dubois or whoever had, had their blade down in front of the net. He's done that time and time again. And so you look and it's like, all right, all of a sudden, you know, his even strength offensive impact has jumped all the way to the 95th percentile this season. That's pretty mm-hmm. good. You watch the tape and go, wow, a lot of these 
goals that they're scoring are genuinely him just making beautiful plays. And if this is going to continue, then yeah, I'd expect the, I'd expect the points to keep coming to at least some degree. Yeah. If you're not make, here's the thing. If you're not making yourself available as a defenseman to be involved in the offensive flow of the game, you're not pinching, uh, you know, he's a player. I, what I one of the clips I posted, Dimitri, he hits tunnel vision, right? Where like he, he gets the puck on his he, he first of all he's banging down his on the on the ice, like demanding the puck, right? Like whacking his his blade on the ice, yelling, like wide open, right? So letting his team get like really say, give me the puck. Like I love that. And then when he gets it, his other teammates start doing the same thing to him. Right. So now they're clapping back, like, no, 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 back, back, back. And he's like, no, like, he's just like, he's looking, he, you can see him pick his head up and, and survey and do this like bob around. And he sees you're covered. You have no play. I have a lane. And it's the decision making process. You watch it play out. It's like a quarterback going through reads sitting in the pocket. You know, he went through his reads. There weren't any. And he just skated it in between the circles himself and scored. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like laughing so hard at that because I'm like, like, I, I remember playing at the end of my adult, you know, I don't play hockey at all anymore because I'm lazy. I'm old and I'm a dad. But like at the end of my adult league career, like I switched to D because you could be really lazy, man. Like if you were looking to conserve energy, play D. Right. I could be the last guy in the offensive zone. I don't really have to try. Like I can like just distribute the puck to my buddies and I'm coasting, bro. Like I'm I'm on energy save mode for the rest of the night. You can play D that way, but like you're not gonna find the score sheet. You're not gonna find the score sheet if you're just relying on forwards to get you the puck. Like you've gotta be running the breakout. You've gotta be next to them in support. You gotta be slamming your stick down on the ice. You gotta be driving lanes when they're in the corner and you have a lane to take. Like he's doing all the things that you need to do to get on the score sheet, right? And and I I gotta go back to the one you mentioned about the passing. Uh, because goalies are looking at posture, right? Like that is so much of what a goalie does mm-hmm. is they're looking at your eyes, your body. How is your, how are you aligned? There's tells, right? Like you, you have tells, like I've always said, like, I loved watching Phil Kessel in his prime because he hit his shot better than anyone. I mean, no goalie knew his shot was coming. He just boom off the stick and it's in the net. But Morrissey now is, is doing that same thing with like no look blind slap passes. Yeah. So like every night you're watching him line his body up like he's just going to rip one at the net. His eyes, his shoulders, his hips, even the way he's holding his stick. It all says I'm about to rip this on this goal as hard as I can. But he's using his peripheral vision, his hockey sense to identify players outside lane and slap pass. So he's fooling the goalie into thinking one thing is coming and then boom, he sends it off to this high danger scoring area. Goalie's got to go side to side. They have no chance. Most of these are like tap-ins into an empty net. He's doing it a lot. Some His teammates have flubbed a few and have not finished a couple, put a couple right into the goalie's chest. Um, but I, that's been probably the most fun thing to watch with him is this this fooling the goalie and and sort of like the little magic trick he'll do to send pucks off to high danger areas without letting anyone know that he's going to do it. Well, it's been a perfect marriage of physical skill and kind of like mental processing, or I guess the way I'd say it is like what he's trying to accomplish out there, right? Like there was two distinct plays that I found that both resulted in goals. One of them was recently against the Senators where he gets the puck, kind of in that like coffin corner where he's up against the wall, but also 
up against the blue line as well. So he's in a really precarious spot where he's got the high forward coming at him. And then all of a sudden he, you know, territorially doesn't really have anywhere to go against the senators. He kind of, I think he dekes out Drake Bathurst and he brings it inside. And then he, he gets to a better shooting angle where he's closer to the net and all of a sudden rips on home. And then against the Blackhawks a few games earlier, instead of going inside, he pinches down, comes down the wall, and then passes it into the slot to Cole Perfetti, I believe, for a goal of his own. And you see that, and it's like, yes, this is exactly the way you need to play there, as opposed to maybe a previous version of Morrissey or even a lot of defensemen in today's game, even the really skilled ones. They get it there, and then all of a sudden they panic, and they're either firing it into shin pads or just kind of, you know, basically playing for a face-off as a best-case scenario because they're just hoping that the goalie's going to, you know, catch it with their with their glove and stop play and and, and that's going to be that and instead he's extending the play and making something creative happen and you love to see that like that's exactly what i want to see from my defenseman yeah and like one thing because I, I was talking to, to murat about this today actually is one of the things we were talking about was the green light he's been given to do all this mm. right like you can't discount the role that coaching plays here um and and to have like your staff say like look don't think right just act like when these scenarios come up and your gut instinct says, do you want to do like you want to go, you want to pinch, you want to take a chance at a puck, like, do it. You know, we'd rather you do it than have to think about it and be a second or two late to the scenario, right? Like that, that's a huge, uh, you know, you, you have a player here who it clearly has a really high level of offensive instinct and a high level of hockey sense around when is the right time uh, to make something happen. And, when is the how how do I involve myself the right way? Because not, you know, I posted a couple of clips, Dimitri, where he's the last guy to touch the puck before he scores. You have all this stuff happening for the Jets. You have him supporting the breakout, getting involved, you know, supporting a forward up ice, breaking off from that forward, taking a long path right down the center lane. You have a boom boom play where a rebound comes in, boot, he scored. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is start to finish a player following their instinct and saying like, I'm I want to, now is the right time to do this. And like having that runway and, and to know that if you make a mistake, which you're going to have happen, right? It's inevitable. The big mistake is going to take place. And, and, and he dekes out Drake Batherson up there one night. Um, but at that supreme confidence he has to make that move will ultimately fail against the forward one day. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Like uh, any sane coach, is going to say, give me the 50 good ones, right? Like I'll take the 50 good ones and acknowledge the bad one's going to come. And I'm going to hope that Dylan DeMello, Connor Hellebuck, all these other really good players that I have in in spots adjacent to Joss Morrissey are going to do their due diligence to cover him up, right? And bail him out. And and, and I'll take 50 to one every time, every time. And there's so many coaches who are, living in a, in a in a fear-based world where they're saying no 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 that 50s is is not good enough uh i i am risk i want no risk in my hockey right no risk at all uh that's that's a that's a plan straight to losing in my opinion uh but again it's 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 all on morrissey right he's the player that's making the drive but the having that support system is i think definitely worth a shout because you know not every not not every talented defenseman is getting that treatment. No, well, I would say I would say being enabled and empowered to do so and to make those decisions and play that way is is a big key of this. And I got to be honest with you, I did not expect Rick Bonus to be the one 
that would get this out of Josh Morrissey, right? Like by all accounts, he came into this year with with a deep appreciation of Morrissey. Like that, you see that quote about how like whenever he was coaching the Stars when they'd play the Jets, they'd have him highlighted as like someone to watch out for because of his game breaking plays. And he came into this season with high expectations for him and a clear plan of how to use him. And so, you know, full credit to him because I I got to be honest, I did not see that coming. I didn't expect to enter this year going, wow, Josh Morrissey has been fully unleashed and given a green light offensively after years of hoping and praying that they would do that with Mira Heiskanen in Dallas and just never getting those results. But maybe that's growth, right? Like yeah. maybe, maybe yeah. that's growth exemplified and like somebody learning from from a prior mistake and making the appropriate adjustment. Um, I think like if you are him and you step aside from your job in Dallas and then you know, you're, you're watching um, that defensive talent as a third party, I think there's definitely an opportunity to be learning there. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, and you know, again, it's, I, I have to go back to the point that like, you know, you're not just gonna, as a defenseman in this day and age in today's game, you know, the score sheets more often than not, uh, not going to find you, you know, um, you're making a, you know, most breakouts, let's, you know, let's be honest here to be true. Most set breakouts, controlled breakouts in this league, which, and I'll, and this is like, I'll say this as an aside, cause we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to focus these conversations on film. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's anything useful I could ever pass to anyone, <laughs> if you want to know what t- system your team is running, in either direction, offensively or defensively, get get your ESPN Plus subscription up, pull a game up, and watch the game until you find the first controlled breakout. And what I mean by controlled breakout is there's probably just been a line change. Mm-hmm. You have a defenseman standing behind the net with no pressure from anyone, playing patty cake with himself. You got forwards spinning around like a whirling dervish in the defensive zone, gaining speed. Right. And then boom, they go. The camera pans out. Stop right there and watch what's happening. You are going to see your team system offensively or defensively within the next five to 10 seconds of that of that controlled breakout. You will see in the neutral zone exactly what both teams are doing in either direction. Hockey is an extremely chaotic game, right? Mm -hmm. Total chaos all the time trying to find a system in the middle of like a neutral zone battle where offense and defense are like, it, it's a gray area where you're actually at. <laughs> We're not really sure what's happening right now. Just got 10 guys involved in a, in a scrum uh, that you're not going to find it there. Like it's impossible to find it. I'm not going to find it. No one is. There is no system in that situation. It's just every man for himself. Like you are in a structure, but it's all, all hell has broken loose. You've got to find those moments where the teams are like, at, that is where hockey is at its most serene, where like the systems are at their most noticeable. Um, I have to, anyway, I just. Well, well while we're on the topic though, I got, I got to say, I, I couldn't disagree more with what I think is such a misnomer when you hear people say this defenseman wasn't noticeable at all. So they did a good job. Of course, everyone's going to have different responsibilities and assignments. And I'm sure for your third pair, sixth defenseman, you'd love him to play 12 to 15 minutes where nothing really happens because he's not out there to to drive play or you know lead on the score sheet. But for most good defensemen, 
I think if you're watching closely and you're looking for the right things, you are going to notice them if they're playing well or if they're playing the way that you'd ideally want them to play. And if they're not, then in my opinion, for the most part, they're not taking the right calculated risks. And that's an entirely different issue. So like, I, I you always hear people say that. And the more I think about it, the more I disagree with it, I think. It's such a 1990s thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, I used to say it all the time in the '90s because that was how right. the game was played. Yeah, but uh, you're right. No, you're 100% right. And those controlled breakouts aren't really kind to defensemen, right? Most of the time, the defensemen just sit behind the net, they distribute the puck, and then the forwards do all the work. If you just live that way, right? Like that's just what you're doing. You're, you know, you, maybe somebody throws you one at the point, you take a shot, it goes in. Once in a blue moon, you get your three goals a year uh, because they've bounced in off somebody else accidentally. Um, that, you know, that, that's one way to live. Right. But I, again, like we've all, we've all just said here, I think that's an old way to live. I don't think that cuts it anymore. Um, I think players like Josh, Josh Morrissey, you know, exemplify how to, and, and, and again, I get to this in the McKean's article too, but like you see this huge lift most of the time in defensive quality results, because you're just not playing defense anymore. Mm-hmm. You're spending such an egregious amount of time in the opponent's zone, right? Yep. Forcing them to react to what you're doing that, you know, your defensive numbers get better by proxy of you simply not having to play defense as yep. much as you used to. Um, that is a huge lift to your, to your forward help, to your goaltending. Um, you know, it all, it all ties together. It, it, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily that players gotten better defensively. It's just they have to do it less, and that benefits everybody mm-hmm. most of the time. Oh man, I've got I've got a lot of other thoughts that I want to build off on this. But let's take our, our break here while we still can, and then when we come back, we're gonna we're gonna keep talking about this topic and more. I see in defensemen and and all that good stuff. So uh, stick around for that. You're listening to the Hockey PDO Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back here in the hockey PDO cast with Jesse Marshall, we we're talking about defensemen and the way they're used and in, in the concept of a team system. So here's something that really stuck out to me watching this Morrissey tape. He leads the league in three on three production. He's got four points in, in like eight or nine minutes of three on three play. He also leads the league in a four on four scoring as well, uh, where he's got three points there in like 15 minutes or so. And the reason why I bring that up is because it really ties into this idea of kind of breaking through structure or sort of assigned roles designated to the position you play because you watch how he's gotten those points. And let's take the three on three, for example, there's the game winner against the stars in Dallas, where he just basically sees an opening sprints up the ice, beats Jason Robertson up the ice for a break and scores. He had two goals, I believe, or at least a goal and another assist against the hurricanes earlier in the year where he beats them up the ice and fills that middle lane. And it's interesting that those are teams that are very well structured defensively generally. Right. And this is a way to kind of get around that. And this is how you have to beat these teams offensively. You can't just play your normal way where everyone stands where they need to be. You move the puck around because they're so good positionally at being where they need to be that they're just going to keep everything to the outside, a low danger opportunities and their goalie will stop everything. But all of a sudden, when you get a defenseman like Josh Morrissey sprinting up the ice, being low, kind of hanging around around the goal line, all of a sudden being places where you're not used to them seeing, 
there's no one really assigned to that player, right? All of a sudden it's like, oh, who's got that guy? There's a blown coverage. Next thing you know, the puck is in the back of your net. And so it's really interesting to see that that's where he's feasted in particular. He's produced a 5 on 5 on the power play as well. But in these situations where there's more space, where all of a sudden it's trickier to kind of load up defensively, he's really capitalized on that. And I think that's really indicative of the change here in terms of the way he's playing and the way he's opportunistically capitalizing on these situations. Yeah. A lot of people uh, in youth hockey now, Dimitri, are really big advocates of teaching kids at certain ages, um, basically what's referred to as like positionless hockey, mm-hmm. right? Um, because at this point, like I think once you get to a certain age, the argument I think is that kids have a development, like a, a certain development track with skills that is like very, at, like you can ascertain in certain ways through testing, um, but instincts maybe not so much. So trying to layer in like how and why and um, what goes into decision making um, is perhaps at that point more important than putting them in front of a shooter tutor and teaching them how to take a wrist shot, yep. right? Um, so I think that's that that goes to the core of what you're talking about, though, right? Because like that, we like I consistently go back to these clips where like I I, I lean on there being no hesitation in what you see, right? I've written articles and I've looked at video and we've all seen defensemen who take a step forward on a loose puck and then like they they have what I call the yips, right? But like they've lunged, but they've thought about it, they second guessed it, and now they're on their back foot. They're they have no momentum and they have a forward cutting at them with possession. They're you're dead to rights, right? Yeah. Um not having that honed ability to, you know, go with your gut, you know, understand timing, understand loose puck plays, um, you know, know, know the tell of, of, of a situation and, and when you should pinch and when you shouldn't, um, you know, again, nobody's going to get this perfect hundred percent of the time. Kale McCarr is probably the best at it, right? Mm-hmm. He fails from time to time, right? Like sometimes spectacularly, but nobody cares, right? Because of the good that he gives you and the benefit that you get out of it is just so strong. So it's, you know, honing that. I I, I was I, I talked today on Twitter, ironically enough, because I was thinking about this in advance and, and going back and watching some tape for some other stuff I'm working on. It was the conversation of hockey sense versus hockey IQ, right? And sense being this Spidey-like, I can make a no-look Sidney Crosby-like pass you know, without ever looking at the player, um, just peripherally knowing where they're at versus hockey IQ, um, I'm recognizing danger in the defensive zone and I'm going to go peel off and save it because my assignment's not as important. You know, these are two totally different things, but I think when you watch Josh Morrissey and you watch what he's doing, like it's the combination of the whole. And I said, I think erroneously on Twitter that I didn't think hockey sense could be taught, that I thought that it was like, that that maybe wasn't something that that could happen at a, a past a certain point. But I like some coaches like challenge me on that in my mentions, like respectfully and say like, wait a minute. Like I would argue that there are very specific drills and things that you can do in a, you know, uh, coaching environment that actually specifically do build that sense. Um, and maybe sense and IQ are tied together a little bit. And if you elevate somebody's high IQ and their IQ and their knowledge of what they're supposed to be doing and where they should be and where everyone else should be, and you get serious in tape study with them and you bring this set, this knowledge up, 
sense sort of naturally increases with it, right? And, and it, can you have one uh, without the other? Like, are these, you know, um, are these two things uh, so tied together that, that that's kind of how it works now? So, um, yeah, that, well, it's just interesting things to think about, right? And then I think from a coaching perspective, um, you know, coaches look at this and say, no, like we, we can make sense better and there are things we can do to improve it. Well, I think this is something that's going to improve much, much more over time as young players train at lower levels and are brought up in terms of the way they play and what they're asked to do, which is what you're saying. I don't think we're going to necessarily see that, um, you know, that positionless hockey in the NHL, because I still think there's, there's a gap to a big gap to bridge there, but the idea of positional <clears throat> interchangeability is, is huge. And you see those yips when a defenseman does the right thing by filling that open lane and going towards the net and making themselves available for a pass. And if they don't receive the pass or a rebound or like the play isn't concluded in like one second, 99% of NHL defensemen, you can almost see like they're programmed and hardwired to be like, oh no, I'm out of position. And they just instantly sprint back to the blue line instead of waiting it out and being like, all right, well, I'm already in a scoring position. I should wait to see how this play unfolds. And I think that is such a huge thing that's going to change over time. And and you see Morrissey as well. He's capitalized on a few of those opportunities. But there's this kind of equilibrium. you got to balance it out, right? Like if Morrissey is playing low in the offensive zone, that means you need to be you need to have forwards who are going to come back and support and, and provide that defensive ability as well. And that is something that we should have expected to see more out of out of a Rick Bonus team. That's something he's gotten really good at throughout his time in Dallas and getting that buy-in from the forwards. And there's this fantastic piece. I think it's from February 4th, 2021. I have it written down. It's by our friend of the podcast, Jack Hahn. It's titled Anger Brewing in Winnipeg. It's on a Substack, And it basically highlights this idea of how the Jets were playing under Paul Maurice, where their roles were so defined and the environment was so restrictive that the defensemen essentially didn't get to do anything. Right. Yeah. They never carry the puck up the ice. They never sprinted up the ice to fill lanes. They were never asked to do anything in transition. They would basically, in the offensive zone, they would hang around the blue line. And as soon as the other, they got a sniff of the other team getting the puck, they would just retreat back. Um, in the offensive zone, when they'd get a chance to transition, they would just like frantically get it to their forwards. And Kyle Connor or Nikolai Ehlers or Mark Shifley would lug the puck up the ice and the defense would never join them. So all of a sudden, you're playing outnumbered. The other team has the advantage numerically. And so mm -hmm. that forward just has to dump the puck in and basically chase after it. And that just, you can't play successfully for a long period of time in today's game that way. And so that let's, is something they totally changed. Let's say, let's like this, like that's a perfect point. And I would argue, Dimitri, you can't play a deep too. You can't ask your defenseman to have a focus of being a safety net, right? Mm -hmm. You can't run a deep two system in the National Hockey League in 2022 because you've, you're severing the connection between the two parties, right? Like you're, there is no umbilical cord between your defenseman and your forward. They're too far away from each other all the time to have any discernible impact. You, everything you just said, the dumping the puck in and being in these disadvantageous situations and like how different is life for Nikolai Ehlers if he's skating the puck up ice and he has a skilled defenseman on his hip in support that he can play off of and he can give and go with that he can carry across the blue line with like it changes everything. And, and, and these coaches, like they, th this idea is I have to prevent being burned at all times, 
right? Like it's the Ken Hitchcock way. No one's getting behind me, damn it. Like, mm-hmm. sure, no one's getting behind you, but you know what else? You're not getting in front of anyone. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, sure, like no one's getting like, like all we talk, I mean, now we're getting I'm getting I'm going on a tangent here, but like gap control, right? The idea of how big a space you're leaving as a defenseman between yourself and the person in front of you, right? Yep. There are rules in place. Hockey gods wrote them many years ago up on a mountain in Ottawa. Are there any mountains? I don't know. Uh, they're on a tablet somewhere buried in Canada. And yeah. the rule is sticks, it's stick lengths, right? So as a as a forward approaches you, blue line, red line, blue line, they should be a certain number of stick lengths away. You're closing that gap as they get close to you. And then hopefully at some point you can swipe your stick at them. You could put your arms up and legally interfere with them, body check them into the boards, whatever it is. The gap allows you to maintain that distance. Uh, what these coaches do when they play a deep defensive two is they ruin that gap, right? They ruin it. You've removed your defenseman's ability to press a forward at the red line and to give them some semblance of uncomfortableness all the yeah. way up there. You're relying on your forwards to do it on the back check, which is – that's a lot. It's a lot to ask of them. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of skating. Uh, it's work they probably don't want to do, right? <laughs> uh so i i don't know i mean it's just to me gap control is so important um and i i have to hide i may piggyback off what you just said because everything you just said is correct but then there's all, all these other intended fallouts of that uh and there's yet all this evidence this mountain of evidence that we have how bad it is coaches still do it well um, yeah what a, a common theme that really distinguishes the good teams from the ones that just look like clueless beer league groups yep is this idea of connectivity between forwards and defensemen, right? And I'm sure a part of it is talent-based. If you have good players, they're generally going to be more in sync with each other. They're going to know where they need to be. They're going to be able to play at a faster pace and read each other's minds, and it's going to gel much more smoothly. But you watch a team, like a, pick any good team, and then you watch like the Columbus Blue Jackets or the Anaheim Ducks this season. And I'm always just blown away by how much open ice that's just completely uncovered as a full gap there is between Blue Jackets forwards and defensemen. Like if you're playing yeah. against them, you can just freely, completely unabated, skate around, do whatever you want. There's no one close enough to you to actually meaningfully provide pressure once you get it. And every player has the skill level in the NA- that's in the NHL at this point to just feast on you if you're given that time and space. And so it's on you to close that. Now, obviously, it's easier said than done. I think everyone, every coach probably harps on that. And when you're, you know, doing practices and running drills and watching film, I'm sure they're identifying that and, and their players just aren't capable of, of following through on it. But that's something I keep coming back to. You see just the gap between those forwards and defensemen, how stark of a difference it is between the good and bad teams in today's game. And I think that is like one of the most different, like most important differentiating factors and sort of litmus tests for how successful you're going to be as a team. Yeah, hundred percent. Uh, and, uh, can we also mention here for a second too? Um, we're talking about this kind of like at what, so you mentioned a minute ago, uh, like this hesitance from some coaches to like to let this D be involved, right. And have them want to hold back. And like, mm-hmm. the, we talk about the necessity of like in some coaches mind of like keeping these two high guys and not having that connection between the forward and the defense. And like, I, I, I just wonder if there's a place Dimitri that exists in hockey 
where you mix positionless play with kind of the current way we live, right? And the current style of hockey that I think that exists in the National Hockey League. What I'm getting at is there's something that was invented in Sweden decades ago called the torpedo. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with the torpedo, mm-hmm. Dimitri? Of course. You still see it in international hockey. Like, I just, I, it's the, I, I, I think there's such a ripe opportunity as we move into like the mid two thousand like twenty twenties of where the game is being played, how fast it is, the kind of defensemen that we're seeing. A torpedo system isn't really positionless, right? But what it does is it does change a defenseman into a forward. You have torpedoes, which sit at the offensive blue line, right? Um, you have halfbacks, which is a football term. They kind of sit two lines back from the torpedoes, and you have one defenseman. And the one defenseman sits as the distributor. Right, and he's got these opportunities to throw these huge long stretch passes all the way up to the torpedoes, or he could go to a halfback who goes to a torpedo, and it's like it really drives Reggie. Like I, I told you on the last show we did together, pretty much everyone in this league runs a one-two-two trap, a neutral zone <laughs> trap. The torpedo is specifically designed to destroy that, and I just we've never really seen it done successfully in the National Hockey League. And granted, there was like a two-line pass that really like prevented that from happening right like the chicago blackhawks tried it in like the 1960s uh but you know again like with the red line you couldn't do it because the whole thing is about stretch passes but i just wonder like in that torpedo you know you remember you only have one defenseman at the back and they're really responsible for distribution the other defenseman becomes a halfback and moves all the way up the ice Uh, how long is it going to be before we see something like this like can we get to a place where we have like fun, cool systems in the National Hockey League, and somebody comes in and says, "You know what? Damn it all to hell! We're running a torpedo." Like I, I, I yearn for those days. Like that's the NHL I want to see before uh, I'm not watching the game anymore. Um, it's just this. I just feel like it's not positionless, but it blurs those lines yep. and it changes what they mean. And I, and I think maybe that's like the first step. To maybe opening the door and having those conversations. We just have to find someone that's brave enough to try to do it. Well, I don't know if we have enough time to fully unpack this question or idea. So maybe it'll be kind of like a parting thought where we uh where we think about it. Maybe we can revisit it next time we chat. But yeah, do you think perfect. that do you think there's a relationship between the talent level you have in terms of the personnel and how structured you should be in terms of a coaching staff? Or in terms of like what you're asking them to do, because you'd think that the more talented the personnel is, the more you'd want them tapping into that by just basically, you know, embracing that fully and and playing as fluidly as possible. Whereas maybe you could micromanage them a bit more if you have like a young team that you're learning the ropes or you feel like you're at a talent disadvantage, especially let's say in a playoff series where you're kind of the underdog and, and you really need to just try to, you know, hold on as much as you can, as opposed to getting into a track meet environment. Do you think there is a relationship between that? Because clearly like, you know, it's not, everything isn't created equal. Like there's 32 teams and there's a pretty big disparity between some of these clubs. So you can't just necessarily play a certain way with one group and expect to to carry over that success with, with another entirely different team. Uh, Well, I I've talked a lot. We talked about this last time we spoke about like having the alignment and philosophy, right. And Mm -hmm. knowing that like, top down from the way that you're drafting to the way that you're playing in the ECHL uh, you have this sort of like linear um, approach in mind. But I think, I think the problem is 
modern coaches, uh, some of them, marry themselves to a style of play, right? Uh, I'm going to run this system because I like it. Yep. At every job I have, regardless of the personnel, right? Like, I don't care. And then, like, the culture with those teams is sort of becomes this heavy, like, all the tape we watch is about us, mm-hmm. right? I have my system. It's attached to my personality. I've played this way for 12 years. This is what you get when you buy me as a coach. Uh, I don't particularly care what the other team is doing because if we execute my system correctly, no one can beat us, right? Like yep. that is a real life thing that it, that exists where I think good coaches – coaches that we've seen in iterations in different teams. And I'll count, I'll call out like Sutter up in Calgary. Like, is this a version of him? The same one that you saw 15 years ago, probably in personality. Yes. Right. And <laughs> style of play. No. Yeah. We just talked about how Rick bonus changed. Right. <laughs> and like having this epiphany about what a good mobile defenseman can do. That's not everybody's experience, Dimitri. Right. Not everybody does that. And not everyone goes to a team and takes this lay of the land approach and says, you know what? We have these strengths in this room. I have players that can execute X really well. We're going to do this. Yeah. This is the way it's going to work. Right. That doesn't happen. It's crazy to say that that doesn't happen all the time. What happens sometimes is square peg round hole or, you know, whatever it is, I yeah. just screwed it up, but right. come in and say like, no, damn it. Like, uh, I, you know, I, I, again, I'm going to make this about the penguins, but you remember the Mike Johnston era in Pittsburgh? Yeah. Go look at a timeline chart of Sidney Crosby and Chris Letang's careers. And then look at this huge, weird ass gap that sits <laughs> this <laughs> bottom bell curve that just inexplicably exists for both of them at the same time. Right. And it's like, that's what a bad coaching will do. That's what coaching that is ignorant of environment and ignorant of staff. Uh, that's, that's the result you beget when you square peg round hole. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, thankfully we've got a lot of coaches like in this league that are, that are doing this stuff and are being flexible and trying new things. And like, you know, I think there's a misconception about Carolina, for instance, Right. Okay. No, no, no. We'll put a pin in the Carolina conversation. I I could do a full podcast on that. But, but my, all this is to say, right. Like you've, you've, you're starting to see a a shift in the tide to me, but don't get me wrong. Like there are still people that are just completely, their, their, their blinders are on. Right. And they're going to play the way they're going to play because that's the way it's always been. Okay. Does that answer your question? I don't know. I no, wanna... well, it does a little bit. I feel like there's still a lot of meat on the bone, and and that's perfect because we're gonna have you back on soon, and we'll just put a pin in it here, and then we'll revisit it down the road. Jesse, perfect. this was a blast. Be well, man. We're gonna have you back on soon. If people have any suggestions for for you know film club topics that they want us to get into, we can certainly tackle those as well in the future. Uh, so we'll chat with you soon, man. All right, sounds good. Thank you. All right, that's gonna be it for today's episode of the Hockey Pedio Cast. We will be back tomorrow with one more show before the calendar flips to 2023 it's going to be a best of 2022 edition where i'm going to handpick some of my favorite clips from this past calendar year of the show so look forward to that thank you as always for listening to the hockey pdo cast streaming on the sportsnet radio network